Good evening ladies and gentlemen, it's Sunday the 19th of March 2023 and this is your latest instalment of the Gelsnet Weekly Podcast hosted by myself, Craig Gray. This is um, the Independent Rangers podcast made for fans, by fans and all content is free. You can check out our forum over at www.gelsnet.co.uk um, where we have a lot of fan interaction where you can get your opinion across and we certainly like to do that on our weekly podcast here as well. Um, joined here tonight by, first of all, Mr John McCallum. John, how are you doing, mate? I'm well, thanks, Craig. I'm well. Yes, can't complain. Mother's Day. I've spent the day being nice to my mother. I'm nice to my mother every day, but I was especially nice to her today. She's a blue nose as well, so she's had a good weekend. Well, that's a good one, and you've kind of stole my thunder there a wee bit, because we do also want to wish all the Rangers moths out there a very happy Mother's Day. Um, we've heard of the Rangers' da trend, so I don't know, maybe we can have a Rangers mall on it, it'll be a wee bit better for us anyway. But um, also joining John tonight, uh, Mr Patrick Kasky. Ka- uh, ooh, Patrick, how are you doing tonight, mate? Yeah, all good, thanks for having me. Uh, sadly, wasn't able to be with my mum today. My parents live overseas, but did they give her a good call? But she sadly is not a blue nose, more of a Morton fan, which is quite weird. Well, we've all got our flaws, don't we? But um, <laughs> at least it's at least it's Morton, not another team from another in the Glasgow area. But um, no, now that um, that's done, just need to get. Um, uh, also our sponsorship um, said as well, um, our podcast is brought to you um, by Forest Precision Engineering. They are a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big commercial supporter of Rangers for many years and we're absolutely delighted that they're backing our podcast. You can get them over at forestprecisioneng.com and you can also visit the Forest Precision Executive Lounge, a stirring new hospitality area within the historic main stand. And for more information on how to book this unique and intimate space, you can email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. So obviously here um, to discuss um, yesterday's 4-2 victory over Motherwell. Actually, on a, a wee run against Motherwell now that's going back 21 years. That was the last time that Motherwell beaten Rangers in um, an actual league game. I'm not going to count what happened eight years ago um, in the 2015 playoffs. Technically, that wasn't a league game anyway, but um, it was that game that James McFadden scored in 2002 that still remains the last time um, that Motherwell beat Rangers. John, the Motherwell fans probably had a wee feeling that they might end that hoodoo after uh, three minutes when they went a goal up. What was your uh, your thoughts on that in the game overall, mate? Yeah, I was actually at that the last time Motherwell beat us. Um, and I think that was probably the last time I was actually at Fur Park, which is quite a thought. Oh, no, I must have been there since then. But I was at that game and we were actually well beaten that day. Um, yesterday, a very different game. Uh, like you say, that the early goal, you did think, oh. But I've seen us go behind this season and, and I always felt confident we can come back. Well, Perhaps not in the early part of the season, but certainly since Beal has come in, um, any time we've gone behind, you, you felt we could we could come back. If you're going to concede a goal, concede in the first three minutes. And I think that gives you most of the game then, you know, concede in the first three minutes, not the last three minutes. Um, I'm still far from convinced the goal was onside. Um, aside from whatever interpretation of the offside rule that frustrates me, and I'm, you know, I moaned about this. I moaned about this a few weeks ago. I'm going to moan about it again. If you're a defender, then you are conscious of, of the, the forward that's near you, right? And Van, Van Veen, the guy that scored it, is offside when the ball's played through to, to the boy out wide. Now, I get the whole, he's not interfering with play, right? But he is interfering with play because the defender who's marked him 
is, you know, is leaving him in an offside position. So he is interfering with play. But I actually think the boy who got the ball was offside. I was looking at those lines that were drawn, I'm thinking, why could they not get a, a camera, a slightly better camera angle at, at Fur Park? Anyway, that moan aside, it certainly was, um, it was a poor goal to lose. Um, I think they had decided as soon as they saw Yilmaz on the um, on the team sheet that uh, eyeballs over to to that side might work well for them, and it certainly worked well for them at the start. It was, you know, it was it was a well worked goal. Uh, what I think we were sleeping, um, but, you know, we we just we didn't defend it particularly well. Um, it was a well worked goal. It's the time to lose it though, um, and to be fair, it, it, we we did react. Uh, you know, for all uh, it was frustrating, we lost two very bad goals. Uh, you know, we did react correctly, but no, I didn't. I didn't enjoy the start of the game. Uh, I did smile a little bit that the Motherwell, the Motherwell Ultras, um, that, that whatever the young team they've got, um, didn't were, had decided to come in just as Rangers scored. <laughs> they were doing some kind of protest themselves, and they stayed out for their own goal, and then came back in when Rangers scored. Did make me smile a little bit. Um, but I still felt whenever that first goal went in that, that, no, that there's still plenty of time for us to come back into this game and that proved to be the case. No, absolutely. Patrick, John um, obviously covered a couple of decent points there in terms of um, the first goal, maybe the confusion about, about offsides and I know we will touch on a couple of the decisions in the game later on. What were um, your overall takes coming away from that one? No, I, I immediately thought I was actually... Um, I, I don't have skies for having to flick through quote unquote illegal streams and then caught the goal between flicking between them and I was convinced it was offside and then went to my other stream which was two minutes ahead for whatever reason and then the goal had stood um, I think there's this sort of asymmetry between the camera angle we see on sky is sort of the use of that is to get the best sort of to watch for us to watch football and those aren't the same angles that they're using in VAR which also makes people come away from the game thinking they'll draw a line on the sky footage and that won't be the same thing they're showing wherever the box the guys do the sort of our stuff. Um, but I, I thought it was offside immediately, but then I guess you have to trust because we don't get the proper sort of perspective for drawing the angles and stuff. And, and in any case, I think it was incredibly close, especially when we, we'll talk about the Sakala goal later. That was quite literally margins on which the blue line was maybe a millimetre thicker than the red line and he was just onside, but to our profit. But I think it was a, a really poor first half. Um, I, you, you could say it's uh, a GVB problem, but also under Beal, we seem to be conceding first often. I mean, uh, Hibs both times uh, today, it happens a lot. Uh, interestingly, I think us and Feyenoord as well today, who also came from a losing position, we've picked up the most points in Europe out in the top 10 leagues. Out of any team, I think it's 24 at this point, which is... I guess a good stat. You'd rather not be in the position in the first place, but to show some sort of resolve is good, but to a point in which it's kind of kind of frustrating and even more so in the goal, especially the second one, which we'll talk about later, was sort of a calamity of our own errors. Um, I think after that, we were quite poor. I think we'll probably talk about Tav and his free kick was great and talk the, the sort of role in which Liam Kelly plays because it's obviously a good free kick, but I don't think he does fantastic. But... Um, second, certainly the second half was better and we'll talk, touch on that later but I think we started poorly for whatever reason um, but it was quite funny though that just as the Motherwell fans came in we scored um, that it seemed a lot of clubs are having protests at this point I'm not privy to why the Motherwell reason was but uh, I did find it interesting and quite the, the message is clear with the, our own protest with the sort of the cutouts of uh, Wilson and Robertson shown before pre-game by a sort of sizable amount of the way fans yeah, I think uh, the Motherwell fans were protesting about 
some sort of police brutality um, at Fir Park. And I, I just thought the, the phrase Motherwell fans and police brutality going hand in hand was quite funny. But um, anyway, John, um, obviously it's a slow start again. Maybe a wee bit off topic, but obviously mentioned there, it's becoming a continuous theme under Bill Now, I think he's 13 or 14 league games in now. You're probably talking about more than 50% of the games have, have been a goal behind. We're obviously coming back in them and gaining points one way or another because we've not lost the game under Bill in the league yet. Um, you know, we've spoke about these 90-minute performances. We're not getting them at Ibrox. We've had them at, you know, Easter Road and, and Tynecastle, but... I don't want to say, you know, oh, eventually your your luck will run out because, I mean, like you said, you're conceding after three minutes. That is the time to concede if you are going to do it. We come into the game, we're more than worthy winners at the end of it, but I just have a bad feeling, again, once we come up against better opposition, um, I say better opposition, I mean Celtic, that once they take the lead, I know we've shown that we can come back against them, certainly in the New Year game, but at the end of the day, we don't win that. So, you know, for me, that is a concern going forward with, the, with these slow starts. It's all well and good doing it against Motherwell and, and even Hibs a couple of times. And we were there at as a club just now, but I just I just have a, a bad feeling that moving forward, we're going to need to, to, to scrub that out. Because thinking back to the season we won the league again, I think we only conceded four goals or something like that. I broke the whole season. So it, it, it definitely needs to get clamped out. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you entirely that you, you 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 do that level of defending against Celtic, they'll punish you every time, um, and you won't get the same level of chances at the other end. You know, there's a there's a big gulf. I heard I heard the guys talking about it on the pod um, earlier, the, earlier, you know, a few weeks ago. There, there's a big gulf between Rangers Celtic and the rest this season. Arguably, the biggest gulf there's been. Um, and you do notice that you know that some other old team in forum, but you know they're still not great. I'd love to tell you I knew what's causing this because I really don't. You know, and you can only put it down to uh, you know poor concentration that, that they are simply not on it from the first minute. Um, you know, we were joking a couple of months ago. Now that uh, you know Rangers, you know were, were coming out at half time and and, and um, in the second half and they were starting the second half so well and, and playing so well in the second half, you're like, well, whatever he's saying to them at half time, did he not just say it at the start of the match? We've done it now against Hibs and we've done it against Hearts, where you've like you say you've had a ninety minute performance where we've played very well, where the concentration levels have been there. Why we can't do that against Motherwell? I don't know. Now, Motherwell didn't play a particularly offensive style of football. You know, they were there. They were, you know, even when they were behind, they were still sitting very deep, um, getting every man behind the ball bar one, um, unlike the, the, the Hearts and the Hibs performances. So they didn't leave the same space. But you do look at it and you think, okay, no Raskin. Um, Raskin wasn't playing. You know, he, as since he's come in, I think he's just added something to the midfield. I don't think you can say anybody else obvious was missing. Um, but I think Lundstrom, for whatever reason, his form this season hasn't been great. Um, he doesn't have the, the dynamism. He doesn't have the drive that he, he showed for the second half of last season. That's missing just now. Um, I was actually surprised that they, they played him and Jack. I, I thought they might play a more attacking midfielder um, and just let Jack sit. I thought that would probably be enough against Motherwell. 
Um, but I don't think you can you can really just say it's one person. It's the entire team are not focused fully for the full ninety minutes, and um, and that is eventually I think that's going to catch up. We either solve it or it, it's going to catch us out. There's going to be a game where it's going to catch us out. Um, we're creating chances. You know, I mean, we, we we should have scored more than we did. You know, if we'd come away from from Fort Park yesterday with you know literally six or seven, it, it wouldn't have been. You know, it wouldn't have been ridiculous. Uh, we are creating chances, um, and again, that's maybe a different worry that maybe we don't still don't. We're still a bit profligate up front. We're not taking every chance we create. But uh, you know, the only thing you can point at is is attitude. The only thing that's the, that for me, and that that's the slight concern here, is that you know our attitude is not right for the full ninety minutes. We go to sleep. Um, we're not starting games, and we're not starting every game as well as we can. Um, and that is a slight concern, and you do wonder if there's just maybe an element of maybe complacency with some players. Um, they think, well, we're better, we'll come back into this. Um, and maybe they didn't feel that at Easter Road, they didn't feel that at Tynecastle, which are generally harder places to go and play football. And it's, so it's a mentality thing, and it's a mentality thing we need to fix. Um, yeah, that's something that needs to get sorted because, you know, a big percentage of professional football is is in the head. It's, it's mentality, um, and uh, you know it's something we need. If we want to win a league, frankly, we want to win a cup. We're going to have to get that sorted out. That needs fixed. Yeah, you're, you're spot on with that, Jordan. One thing, Patrick, that has maybe a, a bit more of a concern when when Bill's done his interview. I've just watched the the highlights on Sports because I've tried to watch it from sort of different sort of viewpoints of, of commentators and, and whatnot. Um, Michael Beale's done his interview with the BBC afterwards and like the first thing he says is, oh, you know, pretty, you know, poor the way we can see the two goals, but like kind of laughing about it a wee bit and I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard on him or, you know, sound overly negative, but it is becoming, it's John's doing a, like the start of the Careless Whisper uh, music video there. Um, no, but um, it, it is a concern and I don't know, maybe it is mentality, maybe the players at the start of games just aren't taking, you know, op- opposition seriously enough or whatever. I, I don't know what it is, but it needs it needs clamped out. He touched on, on Lundstrom there, John, who's obviously not been great this season. I was quite surprised by the level of his performance yesterday because when he plays alongside Ryan Jack, that is when you see the best of Lundstrom. And I think um, the second goal... You know, it does seem like a bit of a comedy of errors from from our point of view. And I know Lundstrom has been getting a lot of a slack for it. So it was any blues corner that he conceded. To be fair, I think McGregor doesn't cover himself in glory an awful lot better than Lundstrom there. Um, Lundstrom's actually done the right thing and headed the ball back to the goalkeeper, where like the goalkeeper should just come and catch it. Um, that's why you head the ball back. It's no why you pass it back with your feet. Um, and then, you know... Just the goals a complete and utter calamity. And probably the worst part about that goal was the fact that Mullerwell played one step beyond. And a wee message to the, the PA guy at Mullerwell, that's your goal song. So you're no nicking that, all right? One step beyond is the Rangers goal song and Mullerwell only taking ownership over that. But um, Patrick, what was your thoughts on, on that second goal and I suppose Lundstrom overall yesterday? Yeah, I think that goal is perhaps like the, the perfect litmus test to see who you dislike the most in the squad and that, that will be the one who you attribute the most blame to. Um, I, I I think, as, as John touched on, it we've seen Lundstrom, he's been at the club for 18 months and he gave us a really, really, really solid three-month cameo. 
Um, it's almost symptomatic of what people said at Sheffield United. He was there for four years and he had that one awesome year. Everyone in fantasy had him in the EPL. We'd obviously thought it's the EPL. It's like night and day with the Scottish parish who should come in here and that shouldn't be a problem. But it seems to be, and it's probably one that I would at least suggest we cut our losses within the summer and just take anything on the basis that he's he's had that he's he's made memories here and he'll be uh, loved for some bits. But I think it's just becoming almost a chore. I saw someone describe last, and I think that's that's pretty fair. Um, nothing he does absolutely terrible, but it's the the constant inability to put his head up and, and drive, which is something we've seen, uh, especially since Raskin has come in and it's full of chalk and cheese. When when he's here, we don't appreciate him as much. But I think with that second goal. Um, Lundstrom obviously heads it, which is a good idea. He doesn't head it quite to McGregor, but also McGregor could be closer to him to make the header a bit easier. Then Tab gets his head on it, which is fine in itself, but he just balloons it up, drops, and then I have no idea what Cholak's doing. It might be a lack of communication. He doesn't know what to do. He's also sort of, if he kicks it, he's going to have to kick it into his own goal or he's going to sort of risk that. Similar to, I think it was Goldson against Hibbs when he puts it into the back of the net. But it was, I guess, a lack of um, decision or indecision there which I guess is symptomatic of both the first and the second goal. And, and, and a lot of the goals we've conceded has been our inability to put the foot down. Uh, and some will be reactionary and say we need some sort of classic old-school defender who will just get his head in there. And then that would obviously help in those situations. But I think that is as much as individual decision-making, confidence, but probably communication. Obviously, we aren't able to hear what the, what the sort of players are talking to each other, but you'd expect in a team in which all roles are defined and people are talking regularly, these sort of goals don't happen. Um, obviously, that's just sort of some like, hypothesis, but I, I think that could be true. Um, but I, I would probably give Lundstrom the biggest stick in that second goal. That's also because he's probably, of the five players involved in the chain, the one I'm sort of least happy with at the moment. Just on that, it's interesting you, you blame Lundstrom because I think Lundstrom, um, I actually didn't feel Lundstrom did anything wrong with his header. I think he, he, headed it, he didn't head it back in between the goal, but he did have to head it. He couldn't just leave it. So for me, there was no shout. For me, the goalkeeper has to take control of that. There can be no shout. And for and for the actual corner that came in, again, I think McGregor, there's no shout. You know, Cholak, Cholak rather, is, is clearly waiting for somebody to say something. He's, he's looking straight at McGregor. You know, McGregor's either shouting away or he's shouting it's his. You know, and, and for me, he's doing, he's, he's doing one of those two things. Now, if he's shouted away, Cholak hasn't cleared it, then the blame lies with him. But if he said nothing, if he's just waited... That's where the indecision comes from. And anything that's in that area, the goalkeeper has to take control. And whether that control is him actually going and taking the ball or whether that control is him telling somebody else to get rid of the ball. You know, that's the goalkeeper's domain. And we've spoken about this before. You know, it's a season too far for Alan McGregor. Um, it's a shame and he's still capable of, of moments of brilliance. But it's a season too far. Um, and, you know, thankfully it didn't cost us yesterday, but it could have. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit weird for Alan McGregor not to show because he seems to, to be doing that quite a lot. It's um, definitely in his, in his makeup. Um, I, I would say on to the equaliser, um, I'm actually just going to turn this into more of a, a sort of discussion point. I think we were going to discuss uh, the protest first, but I, I, I'll just sort of mix it up a wee bit because we're on the game and we as well just keep talking about the actual game before that. VAR, um, those three wonderful letters that we love to hate in Scottish football and everywhere, I suppose, but more so up here. John, I know you've obviously had a wee sort of mini moan about it earlier. Um, look, for me, it's something that, that had to be brought in. Um, I know for a lot of people, you know, it's maybe causing more issues, more indecisions. 
one thing that I would say be VAR is, you know, of all the VAR decisions that have, that have went, I would say 99% of them are actually correct. I think one of the issue, issues with VAR is perhaps things that are missed, and I think that that's fair. I think people have got sort of every right to, to sort of question that, but I think if you look at pretty much every VAR decision, you know, you could put out in one hand anyway the ones that have been made that probably shouldn't have counted, and even if you think they shouldn't have counted, it's probably a 50-50 debate because, as we know, a lot of these decisions are down to interpretation. Um, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how it's been overall, not just for Scottish football, but for Rangers and stuff like that in particular. I mean, put it this way, there only seems to be one team in this league, apart from Derry McInnes, that's moaning about VAR week in, week out, um, and not getting decisions or, or, and, and whatnot. So, for me, it's actually been more of a positive for Rangers, like I actually thought it would be. I thought that we got a lot of offside calls made against us before VAR coming in that, you know, are now sort of being rectified. Yesterday's one could be a prime example of that. Um, not the equaliser, sorry, Fashion's goal to put his 2-1 um, up because on the one hand, yeah, he does look offside, but on another, he looks on. I think one thing that's really weird about the way that the offsides work is how long it's taking to actually reach a decision. Um, it doesn't help when whoever's in the VAR room doesn't have access to a ruler, because that line is like the wobbliest thing. Of, it's wobbler than a, a bowl of jelly. Um, you know, so stuff like that's really annoying. Handballs, penalty decisions, red cards, fouls, there will always be debate around that. I get that. But offsides, there, there can't be any debate. And we use in Scotland um, the Hawkeye system. Now, I don't know if the view that you get on a Sky camera at home is the same as what they have in the VAR room. And Sky have maybe just put a wee bit of fancy graphics in it to show what they think is offside. Hawkeye should be working, but I think what we need to get to towards now for the offsides are the sort of automated offsides that they've got in the Premier League and the Champions League where the referee knows straight away it's almost like goaling technology whether the ball's over the line or not whether a player's offside or not that should be taking seconds and then the game goes on obviously there are other decisions during interpretation but John what was your thoughts on well both the goals yesterday the, the ones that were called into question and, and how VAR's been as a whole since coming into to Scottish football anyway you said an interesting thing at the start there, Craig, where you said um, it had to be brought in in Scotland. Did it have to be brought in? You know, for me, VAR is something for people who don't go to football matches, for people who watch football on television. And in England and in Spain and in Germany, the television companies put so much money into football that they get to call the shots. And they've wanted VAR, they've wanted that, the added drama that brings, the, the extra talking points, they've wanted that because of that. But in Scotland, they don't put anything, they don't put anything like enough money into football. And for me, I would have chased them. I'd have said, no, no, you're not getting it. You want to put VAR into football here? That's fine. You know, double the amount of money you're putting into the game. Become the partner you should be. Because what this does just now is it inconveniences everybody who is actually at the match, who doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know if it's been a goal, who can't celebrate. And it spoils something of the spontaneity of football, which is part of its beauty. So, you know, 
it may be at some point UEFA would have said, oh, you've got to have it. But I'm, I'm against VAR for that reason. I'll caveat that by, by agreeing with you that 99% of the time it's right. 99% of the time it, it gets it right. And then there's that 1% of the time or whatever that small percentage is where you look at it and you think, what the hell are they looking at? What is it they're seeing that I'm not seeing? Now, it's clearly not perfect. And I think that's what we're expecting because because it's this technology, because they have time and replay and, and all that, you're thinking, well, it should be perfect. They shouldn't be getting anything wrong. You know, in the past, referees and linesmen made mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes were then highlighted later. But you, ex- as annoyed as you were by them, you accepted that they made a decision in a split second. You know, they had one moment to make that decision. Sometimes you looked at it and you're like, how the hell did you make that decision? Why did you see it that way when clearly everybody else saw it differently? But you accepted that, no, they didn't get a chance to see it again. They didn't see a slow motion replay. They didn't get this. Whereas now they do, and yet they still seem to make mistakes. And I, I you know, that, that I think again adds to the frustration. The two goals yesterday, as I said earlier, I, I thought the first goal was offside. I still think it was offside. Um, the second goal, I thought he was offside. That was miles offside initially. And as Patrick said, you saw it again. You thought, hang on, actually, maybe he's onside. Um, so, uh, you know, I think if both of them had been chalked off, I don't think too many folk would have complained. And as it was, both were given. It didn't affect the result. So I guess we're all just kind of shrugging our shoulders and saying, ah, well. But it, uh, I still think they were both slightly dubious decisions. Um, I saw a clip, I didn't see any of the game, but I saw a clip of the sending off on the Hibs Celtic game, um, the second booking. And you just think, how is that a booking? How did that guy get booked for that? He basically got fouled. Um, and you think, okay, well, well, is VAR not allowed to step in because it's a booking? Is there a rule that stops that? Or did VAR look at that and think that is a booking? Uh, you know, it, it, these things are, are, are troubling. The time taken, I assume it will get quicker. I assume we'll get better at it. I assume the people who operate it, the people who make these adjudications will get better at it. You'll start to get quicker. Um, the technology that you spoke about that's used in, in other leagues um, will probably become uh, something that is, is available um, to all leagues uh, at some point. Um, so I suspect it will get better. I suspect it's something we'll just get used to. I suspect it's something that some people are used to already. But I don't like it. But then I'm old. And when they change things like that, it annoys people like me. Um, you know, part of... It's, it, this is so daft, right? I, I like the, the Scottish Cup final in 1989. Right? Celtic beat us 1-0. And they scored a goal, right? And it was a throw into Rangers. Right? I was just, there was no debate. It was a throw into Rangers, right? But Roy Aitken picked up the ball and just threw it. And Celtic started playing. And for some reason, the referee just said, oh, OK, play on. And they scored from it. And they literally walked down the field and scored from it. We were livid. And, you know, I'm still livid about it. It still annoys me to this day. But it's part, I wouldn't, now, I'd necessi- I wouldn't want you to take that away from me. Because, you know, sometimes injustice, sometimes a feeling of, of, of being cheated, that's kind of part of being a football fan as well. It all goes in with it. The good times and the bad. The, the things that went your way and the things that didn't go your way. We, we, we spoke, or we didn't speak, but there was earlier on in the week, the guys were talking about um, a kind of famous goal uh, that you both might have, have seen it since. You won't remember it. I doubt you were born. Um, when Rangers played Bruges in the first ever Champions League. And uh, a Rangers player at the time, a guy called Scott Nisbet, scored one of the 
one of the most unusual goals you've ever seen. One day that night, put it that way. <laughs> the ball just took this. He, 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 I don't think he was shooting. I don't know if he was crossing or what he was doing. He was the kind of player I'm not sure he knew himself what he was doing. But um, it took a terrible, terrible spin in the air. And it came down and it bounced in the strangest direction and, and over the goalkeeper. Man, one of these really, one of these goals that you never forget. And and again, that, it's a bit like that, you know. You, the luck went our way. That ball went our way. Luck was going our way that season. Um, Marseille had to cheat their way to the European Cup final that season because um, luck was 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 going with us. So that's part of football, Craig. And and I guess VR is now part of football. It's not going to go away. They're not going to get rid of it. Um, it's here to stay. I think it will improve. Technology will improve. People like me, we will just get used to it and we'll moan about it later. Um, and you guys will, and, and the people who are coming up behind you will just see it as part of football. Um, and, and a necessary evil and we'll all adjust to it. Um, overall, you're right. It has probably given us more in our favor than against. It's probably given us the, the decisions that we weren't getting, um, particularly at Waygrounds, are now we're now getting because they, you know, they were right. Um, it's not, it's not infallible. Um, I suppose that's probably a good thing. What would we have to talk about otherwise? What else would we moan about? Um, it's not infallible. I guess it will be at some point in the future. AI will come in and fix it, and it will just a computer will instantly tell us if it was a if he was offside or not. Something like that's going to happen. You can see it. Aye, and uh, don't worry, there'll still be certain conspiracies coming through for the East End anyway, even after the AI comes <laughs> in, they ask him what school he went to. Um, <laughs> Patrick, um, again, it's just, I actually think John's made a couple of interesting points here. The, the one that I kind of thought most of was the one about the TV companies and, you know, it's something that's maybe more for, for the fans at home. And I, I do kind of get that because when you're at grounds, especially... I mean, I was at Levy a few weeks ago for the uh, the 3-0 victory, and obviously the first penalty's been given with VAR. There's no tellies at Livingston, so you don't know what's going on. Um, obviously, Ibrox have got the screen, so you can see what decision they're thinking about. But at the end of the day, the decision's not going to be played back on the big screen at the stadium, which, <clears throat> from a fan's point of view, that is annoying because you want to see what's going on. You want that to be part of your experience. At the same time, though, can you imagine a referee going up to a VAR monitor whilst the fans are allowed to see it back at Ibrox or Celtic Park? The referee will just probably be under even more pressure and, you know, under more shouts about certain things. So I can understand from their point of view um, why, you know, they might be against that. But look, I, I will stand by what I said in the sense that it had to come in and I would, I would stand by that in the sense that we're seeing the decisions go for us now. There's been very little that's went against Rangers, and that's not because of some big, you know, conspiracy. It's because, you know, we're just we're getting decisions now that we, we maybe wouldn't have gotten, you know, a few months ago, and there's no hiding places um, for the referees now. One thing that, you know, as well that's kind of confusing me is maybe now there's a kind of lack of um, instinctiveness maybe from referees. They seem to let things go on and almost be too scared to give a decision because they'll say, oh, well, it's fine, I'll, I'll get saved by the guys in the VAR room and, you know, everything will be all right in the end. John mentioned the second game yesterday in terms of the red card. It's never a second booking. Um, I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, that VAR looks at second bookings because I just think it's weird because it's, obviously, you're sending someone off anyway, so it's a pivotal part of the game. 
Um, the decisions they made yesterday, two penalties. The first one, the the, um, the Hibs penalty, Starfelt's grabbing the guy's shirt for a good length of time. It's a clear penalty and the referee doesn't see it at first. Now, the second penalty that Celtic got, I think, was a penalty. Soft, but law the laws of the game and whatnot, I think it was a penalty. But it was far less lenient than the the first one. And then, But then as soon as the challenge was made in Carter Vickers, straight away, Stephen McLean's pointed to the spot where he needs 10 minutes to decide that Carol Starfelt's had a tug on the guy's shirt for about 10 minutes. So I think the referees are certainly inconsistent when it comes to maybe the on-field decisions. I think maybe when it goes to bar, they're slightly more consistent, but there's always going to be inconsistencies there. What's what's your take on the whole situation? Um, but I think the uh, the penalty we got against Hibs was probably the perfect example. Kent's category taken out. There, there's no excuse. And it's not called on the pitch, which makes no sense. Obviously, they have the, the backup. Um, to, to go to VAR and say if it is a pen, but equally they have the backup for them to sort of dispel it and say it's not a pen. I think what we have, what we see specifically is sort of the granular analysis of anything that happens in the box. And it's almost to the point where it's par- like a parody. I understand that if someone does a small um, sort of uh, pull of the shirt or the tiny, tiny bit of contact, but it's almost to the point where we're ignoring the sort of natural game state and we're isolating the single action, which is the foul, which makes sense from a very sort of scientific and technocratic view, which is like, is this sort of definition of a foul? But I think it almost becomes the point where we're isolating the rest of the game and it's just like, what happens there? And I think from a pure refereeing, that's probably what they're advised to do, but I think it almost kills the game to an extent. We see these sort of penalties, which within the rules of the game, I guess should be given. But if you were to ask the vast majority of people watching the game, they would say, given the sort of paces they took outside of the box, or whatever, it's kind of a, it's a bit harsh. So there's no nuance to it, which I guess allows people to be more binary because that's what we want. We want a yes or a no. We don't want the in betweens because that what fest that's what fest or sort of conspiracies com- com- complaints. But we've seen even with that with the offsides today, there'll be people saying lines are drawn improperly or whatever. Um, as for VAR, there was interesting in Sweden. They're voting as to have it or not, and I think. They need to get a two-thirds majority and they didn't get it. So their clubs voted to not implement VAR, um, interestingly. And I was watching the the conference league last week, um, Slobin Bratislava playing Basel, with Vladimir Weiss was playing. He's in his mid-30s now, but he was playing. And there was an offside call that took eight minutes to deduce. Uh, not exactly sure how that's possible on the basis to draw lines for eight minutes, um, but it happened. And I hopefully, when we're at the point in which these sort of my minute details, which anger people, are reduced to the point where it's like automated. It's like an automatism in 30 seconds, then we're fine. Because then with the VAR, there are people who are just fundamentally against the concept of added sort of sort of mechanisms in football. And that's fine, traditionalist stuff, and, and I applaud that. And barring a sort of 100% perfect implementation of VAR, which is basically seamless, they won't be on board. So I guess it's reducing these sort of minor cognitive lags. Like, I mean, eight minutes is a very large lag. But I, even, even some of the examples, I think... The second yellow when we were playing Livy early on in Michael Beale when we, when, we, when we drew 1-1, one of Gio's last games. I think it took them like four or five minutes to get that second yellow and it's just killing the, the game clock. I think a funny example, it's funny in hindsight because we won and then it was a good game, but Brad got home and we won four or five one and there was the three roof offsides and they were just taking ages to go uh, on that basis and it's almost killing the game. But again, we were having fun and we were winning, so it's happy. But if we were down to one chasing the game, that would be an absolute murder. Similar to when Red Star at home and Kent gets the penalty. I was in the stadium. I had no idea what it's being called for. I think there's a 
there are ways to go and it can be more signposted, but I, I, I agree. I don't think publicly broadcasting the VAR process on the pitch is the, probably the best idea in regards to safety of refs. Not to say that something bad would happen in Scotland. I mean, I could see North, something kicking off in North Rome, but I think it's a precedent set for the, the rest of the world. There are some places probably in Istanbul or in Athens where I wouldn't trust on sort of on the on the screen to be the best example. Or in Kronigan in Holland today, there was a brawl at the game that had to stop stop the game. Some guy punches their left back and they have to finish it. So I think player and referee safety is important and it's deteriorating. And I think we need to make sure VAR doesn't inhibit that. But Again, it, there's there's three major stakeholders, players, refs and fans, and I don't think the dynamic is good and I don't think it'll ever be that good in football. And that's just how it is. Um, but then that gives us something to complain about. And if anything, football fans like secondly to their team winning is they do enjoy complaining. Yeah, John, see just <laughs> on that, sorry, I, do, I wanted to ask you a question, right, because you said you're against Val completely. See if Val was just introduced for, say, goal-line technology and offsides where... The offsides were as clear as day. You know, yes or no, it's offside, but you weren't allowed to have VAR for like red cards or penalties or anything like that. Would you be in favour of it then? No, I think I think you have VAR for everything, or you don't have it at all. I think I think it's, I think you know that's part of the issue. I think I didn't know. I wasn't sure about the bookings thing. I think you just confirmed there that it's not used for for second bookings. Which you think, well, why, what's the point of having it? Why have it? Case. Have someone there doing it? Why would you not? It's something that changes a game, that affects a game. Surely that would be something that you would get it in for. So I think you either have it for everything or you don't have it. You know, part of my dislike of it, part of why I'm a curmudgeon about it is because it's new to me. But also because it takes professional football another step away from the game that we can play. Now, the beauty of football was it was the same game. You know, the game that you played in the park, the game you played at school, the game you played in the BB, the game you, you know, the game you played at whatever level of football you played was identical to the game that you went to see Rangers play. And over time that's changed. And this is just another step along that way. Again, this is just a personal thing. I get that, you know, things change, think that, you know, time moves on. Um, but it's another step away from that. So for me, the TV's thing and the fact that it, it's just, you know, again, football moving another step away from the game that, that I grew up playing. I don't play much football these days, but um, the game I grew up playing, it's another step away from that. I just one very quick thing that came to me when Patrick was talking. Um, someone very close to me went to Murrayfield yesterday for the first time. Um, I'd never been to a rugby match before and was showing me today like an earpiece that you could buy outside. And you bought this earpiece and you could hear the referee. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched Rugby Union on television and that, but you can hear the referee speak. The referee will explain, you know, um, yeah, can you check if that was a try? Can you check if the ball got put down before his leg went out of play? That type of stuff. And these, you can ha buy this and hear what the referee is saying uh, through your earpiece in the ground. Six or seven thousand people around you and you can hear what the referee is saying. And I wonder if that's what's coming in football next, for, the, for in the stadium, so that folk know what's going on. Not necessarily listen to the referee, but whether as somebody explains what's going on with VAR, why has the game been stopped, what are we waiting for, who, you know, what thing. I don't know if that's what's coming next. I don't know if that's suitable for football. Football's very different uh, as a, a spectator sport. It's very different from rugby, so I don't know. But that, that technology exists just now in Scotland and has been used. 
Yeah, just uh, don't let James Bisgrove know about that because he'll be he'll be trying to make money for the earpieces outside, like and, and blazing it in Rangers. You've got to buy them. They're, they're, they're not free. You've got to buy them. I will. We'll definitely be pressing the SFA for that one in the future. Then, if there's a, a pretty penny to be made. Moving on, then, um, John, I'll start with you. Um, ironically, speaking of James Bisgrove, I know technically he's not part of maybe the wider movement, but obviously we've, we've seen more protests against the board um, yesterday's game. That's two weeks in a row. I still had a question, you know, last week. How how does this end? And we all kind of, kind of came to different conclusions. I really don't know what's what's going to happen here because I think on the one hand, you've got a group of fans, mostly the Union Bears, I mean, I would say pretty much all the Union Bears are involved in it, but there is a wider sort of group of fans that are very unhappy with the way that the club's been running, stuff like that. And do you know what? I've got a lot of gripes with the current Bolden's, you know, part of the, maybe the direction that they've, they've taken the club in the last couple of years as well. But... I've always felt that in terms of these sort of protests, they have very little effect in my experience. And I think one of the examples I used was the Sydney Super Cup fiasco, where, you know, fans groups seem to think that because they went and sang a few songs that you shouldn't have sung at St. Johnson away and you threw tennis balls on the pitch, that Rangers stood up and went, oh, by the way, we can't do this, when really it was because, you know, the the big PR disaster that that was causing that was the reason that, that you know, they pulled out of that. For me, look, people are entitled to their opinion. At the end of the day, if you pay your money, and it's a lot of money to go to football nowadays, especially away games, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to take that away from anyone. One thing that kind of is maybe getting to me a wee bit more now is Michael Beale's comment yesterday where he said, kind of the same, you know, people are entitled to their opinion, he says, but it can have a negative impact on the team. Now, on the one hand, um, maybe we should stop the protests then because it might affect the team's performances. But then again, you would need to say, well, these guys are professional football players. The protests aren't aimed at them specifically. So, you know, you should be sort of grown up to, to sort of get on with it and, and do the job that you're paid to do. It is a bit of a mess, but John, I think no one wins out of this, whether it be fans of the club. We all want to be going together in the same direction, but just for one reason or not, just doesn't seem that that's going to happen at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, it's all supporters have got. If you want change at a football club, then all you can do is make a noise and either vote with your feet and don't go to the game, or go to the game and, and protest in whatever manner you want to protest. So I have no problem with, with with people protesting. If they're unhappy, I have no problem with them protesting. They're not breaking any laws, they're not hurting anybody. They are expressing their annoyance. So I don't have a problem with doing that. That's what football fans do. Um, I don't buy Bill's comment. I think if you play for Glasgow Rangers, you're a couple of bad passes away from having 40,000 people express some um, fairly strong views that you will certainly hear. So uh, I don't personally buy that the players are, you know, in any way put off by that. I don't think that that, that affects the players. And not that, not not the protest as they stand just now. I don't think that affects the players. Um, I don't know why Bill said that, because I don't buy it. So I'm all for fans being able to protest. I remember, I'm, I'm reading the book just now, there's a uh, book just out, um, and it's about the 
it's, it's Soonest and Smith when they came in, the, the, the kind of first five years of their reign. Um, and what's been fascinating for me is that was just you know, my kind of core of me being a Rangers supporter, mid-teens. And at that point, the season that they were appointed, Rangers finished fifth. And we just finished fifth. Dundee nearly pipped us to fifth place in the league. Um, there were protests. People, you know, A, there was about 20,000 people turning up for games. Um, B, after the games, there was big crowds of folks standing in Edmiston Drive shouting abuse and letting the directors know they were deeply unhappy with the direction of the team, letting the players know, letting the management know. That's all supporters have got. It's all we can do. Um, and I think you have to accept that that's a supporter's right. Do I agree just now that what they're complaining about is legitimate? I don't know if I do. Um, I think we, ha I appreciate these particular complaints and directed at two people in particular, Robertson and, and Wilson. Um, I think you have to say this board have turned Rangers around and put us in a far, far stronger position than we were before. And whatever your personal feelings about certain individuals on the board, I think as a whole, you have to say they've done a good job for that. Now, will they be able to close the fiscal gap between us and Celtic? I don't know. Will they be able to close the gap that's on the field between us and Celtic? Yes, I think they can. I think they can. Things will change. Um, nothing is inevitable in football, but things will change. You know, what's going on at Celtic just now will not continue. They, you know, they will hit a blip. It's up to us whether we'll actually deal with that and, and be able to capitalise on that. Um, we had a bad window or, or a, a badish window in the summer. We had, you know, two signings we brought in there in, in January were pretty good. So first, first impressions are, are, you know, a couple of decent signings. Guys who look like they um, belong in our first team. They're the right age um, and, and they look like pretty good signings. So um, I get why some people are frustrated, but I also think you need to stop and say, you know, what have we lost twice this season? Um, you know, we, we, our manager left last season and we brought in a, a manager who I think most people thought was a very good signing, a very good player to bring, manager to bring in, in Van Bronckhurst. He, he did exceptionally well last season. He got us to a European final, won us the Scottish Cup. And then for whatever reason, things did not start the season particularly well, albeit he qualified us for the Champions League for the first time in a long, long time. Um, but... You know, I think we all agreed that at, towards the end, it was clear that something was wrong. I don't know what was wrong, but something was wrong. The board eventually acted, Van Brockhurst left, um, and they brought in Bill. And I think most people are quite happy with Bill being our manager. So, I, you know, I think we have to take things in some perspective. I'm certainly not at a stage where I'm for shouting for anybody's head. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not at that stage yet, but I get why some people are. And I think you have to respect that right and just accept that it's going on. Um, how does it end? If we keep winning, if the team keeps improving, it, it peters out. It peters out naturally. If the team stumble, if we had some difficult patches, then it will probably pick up some more momentum and become more vocal and, and, and potentially become a bigger thing. Um, I think it will depend on what happens on the pitch because ultimately what's happening on the pitch is what most Rangers fans care about um, and uh, the frustrations over um, signings and, and, and decisions being made at that level, we'll see what, what comes, um, I think, over the next six months. We're telling six months ahead, Craig. Uh, that's what I think. Um, but 
everybody has a different view on these things and I understand that's the beauty of football and I think you have to respect that and you have to let people have these views Yeah I think there's a couple of interesting points you made there John I think one thing you know that's that a lot has been held at this board more so sort of towards the end of Geo's era was the fact that you know people are saying that the board's more reactive than proactive and I understand that sort of criticism but at the end of the day it's football as well so you kind of need to be reactive at the same time and they have been very reactive and in fact I would say you know that's probably been one of their biggest downfalls is how reactive they've been you know they are if you look at managerial appointments when things weren't going well for Warburton you know he left or he got sacked or whatever got happened but he left anyway when things were going bad for Pedro he left they backed Gerard, and you know eventually kind of realised that they need to give someone time and after they gave someone time and, and money and whatnot, it worked out. Gio came in after him, you know, done well certainly last season in Europe and, and winning the cup but as soon as things go wrong in the league he's not getting that same time that Gerald got and being reactive again, he's out and then they're getting dealing. So I don't know, it's... It's a weird one. I think look, that there is valid criticisms to be to be levelled at these people, but are the criticisms, you know, that far that these people need to be removed from their positions? I don't know. I've mentioned before about Ross Wilson, and you know, I think he's the one that most people are erring in their grievances at. But again, the club haven't really came out. Nobody knows what Ross Wilson's sort of day-to-day job description and job function is. We all think we know what it is. We say, well, he's a sporting director. He must be in charge of signings. He must be in charge of negotiating deals and whatnot. But there's a lot more that goes into this than just one guy on a board. So I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I think one thing that Stuart Robertson said at the AGM, I think it was the last one, not the 2021 one, was when people, someone questioned Ross Wilson and he said well Ross Wilson came in in 2019 and I've got a far better squad in 2019 than what we um, sorry now than what we did in 2019 and at the end of the day that that is true you know you look at the squad this season compared to what it was in what 2018 2019 it's a lot better um but I get that I think I think for me maybe it's the fact that some of these people might be coming to the end of a shelf life I think Kind of similar to the players I've said that the, this squad of players, these players have had a certain job to do in the history of our football club. That was to get us back to the top and ultimately being normal and challenging for things again. They've done that. That doesn't mean that these are the players to continue going on that and making Rangers sort of normal again, if that makes sense. And maybe that's the same for some people on the board. Patrick, what's your overall thoughts on when the protest and how do you think it will end up finishing? Yeah, um, I, I I don't know. I don't think we'll get into into sort of Mexican standoff because I think the board have all the leverage. I mean, obviously, Rangers are in a unique position, much like uh, Celtic and a lot of the similar size clubs outside the top five league, in which the vast majority of our revenue relative to the EPL or the Bundesliga is in match day revenue. So we are rel- relatively sort of tied to our ability to bring fans in to get them to buy a drink and a pie and then to buy the tickets. So we need that. Um, I, I also think fundamentally we need to realise that especially Twitter is not the same thing as the Ibrox crowd. I think we often conflate the two and see that That's just because the, 
the sort of every post on Rangers has the sort of the headshot of the two with the, the red X doesn't mean that's actually the feelings for the vast majority of match going fans. Not to say that there isn't a substantial uh, loud minority of match going fans and don't want to speak for anyone besides myself, but I do think we need to sort of not link the two. Um, and I, I, I agree. If Rangers go and win the cup and we have like a strong, a strong summer, you, you'll see some people who were in the camp on the basis of just your optimism. And it's, it's exhausting to be angry at something you love for so long. Uh, sort of revert to type. Um, I think a good example is we've seen the, the UCU, the university union, it's been at striking against university in the UK for three years and nothing's really happened. Do I see the, the UB and all the fans striking for three years? No, I, I don't think that's possible on the basis that this is something we'd love to do. And no one's forcing us to be a Rangers fan. So there's some natural proclivity to just go there and, and enjoy. Um, I think relative, obviously, with Wilson and Robertson, there is plenty of sort of stuff to, to hit them with. And I think what we're risking is a lot of people are just making stuff up to the point in which to suit their narrative. I think when you mentioned Wilson's remit, I think it's relative to what you want it to be. Some people will just disregard the fact that, let's say, for example, the renovations of the of everything in-house since Jared got there was done under his watch, or at least uh, towards the end of it. The women's team is well a lot better, the youth team is well a lot better, and people will be like, that doesn't matter. And that's their, and they're just cherry-picking that on the basis that they can basically streamline it to say, I don't think he signed there as well. Obviously, that's the most important bit relative to what we think, because we're all Rangers fans, but that's more specifically the men's senior team and us winning stuff. Um, and sure, you can buy that as the most important bit of his job because it probably is relative to your match-winning fan, but to sort of disregard everything else he does is sort of superfluous at best uh, or disingenuous. Um, not to say he has not done well in, in, in the main facet of his job. I think it'd be quite hard to argue that he's had more hits than misses. And I think a lot of people have done some threads on that. Um, uh, one p- piece of criticism I find hilarious is that he didn't sign Dutch players when Gio was here and that's apparently bad for him I, I just I don't get that at all um, but I do understand the vast majority of the kickback as as John said I'm not here to argue with it uh, or to discredit it because it's valid um, but I do see it perhaps as a bit reactionary um, and as you said with the, the Australia thing last year sure the tennis balls and singing sectarian chants made a difference, but it was more so just the vast majority of reaction as opposed to that specific one. Um, I, I don't think cutting off our nose by our face is the way to go on the basis that just because the board don't like it, we'll do it because the vast majority of match one fans probably don't want us to sort of self-hinder on the basis of trying to get two guys out of the club. Um, and I think there was an interesting third on the basis last night of are we running a risk by of getting rid of the board's men who are Robertson and Wilson, they're put in there by the board. Are we running the risk of getting of running away their their investment? And albeit the sort of football clubs seem to be fertile grounds for investment right now, it's not a guarantee that we get someone with our best interests. Um, I, I think it'd probably be an interesting conversation if it comes, but I'd much rather have the board we have now than some sort of petrodollar funded club that has no soul. Yeah, well that that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I mean you know, after everything that happened in 2012, we all remember the people saying, you know, we want Rangers to be owned by the fans, we want this, we want that, and okay, we're not exactly sort of fan-owned, you know, stereotypically, but most of the people that have gotten an, an investment in and in a shareholding in Rangers are Rangers fans, they are Rangers men, they do deep down want what's best for the club, they might not necessarily go about that in a way that some people agree with, but... It is kind of what we all wanted after 2012 and, you know, I know there was obviously talk of investment lately from America that's, that's died down, but 
I think we need to think very carefully. What what is it we want as like a future of a club? How is it that we want to be run? I I don't think Rangers can be fan owned. I don't think a club of our size can be fan owned. I think it's impossible because fans can't sustain the level of investment required for the Rangers team to compete in the league in Europe. You know, continuously, it just it just can't happen. So we need big investors from, you know, from out with fans' own pocket. We've got that from actual Rangers fans. Well, we're actually in a very unique position, possibly in world football in that aspect, that, you know, think of how many well-off people own a club that are fans. I mean, I know the whole chat around Tom Boelli that he's a, a big Chelsea fan, but I don't think he maybe grew up going to Stamford Bridge and whatnot. But, you know, it's, it's a good soundbite for the fans. So... I don't know. It's it's a weird one. Um, I think you know we can appreciate people. You know, have their opinion on things, and people are entitled to their opinion. But I think Patrick made a good point there about you know just getting getting facts right, and you know people kind of just making things up to to maybe shoot their own narrative. You know, we just I don't really know how this one ends. I, I just think one thing for me, it's like. I just think a lot of people can't handle the fact that right now Celtic are better than Rangers on the pitch. Um, it's hard for everyone to take, but you know, it's kind of like the scattergun approach out as soon as Celtic are ahead of us after. And look, I know people will go on and say, you know, we had them down after we won the league. Did we though? I mean, Celtic were always going to come back. You think of all the money that they've accumulated over the last 10 years or so at the expense of us not being in the league. Celtic could go and spend 30, 40, 50 million quid over the space of two years to invest in a good squad and a manager, which they've done. Um, you know, we could have signed another couple of players last year. Would it have made a difference to the league? Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have. If we signed Cantwell and um, Raskin in the summer, would it have made a difference? Who knows? But we're now back at a point where I know it seems like Celtic are really far ahead of us, but I don't think it's as bad as it some people are making now, um, you know, and hopefully the game at Hamden will show that, but, you know, that's a long way away. As is the next Rangers game, guys, um, just as we, we finish up there, well, we're not in action for another two weeks. It's a dreaded international break. Um, Scotland playing against Cyprus and Spain, well, um, Ryan Jarrett's going to be involved, so hopefully he doesn't get injured, and hopefully um, the other lads that are away in international duty, I know Sakala and um, Barisic are away after... I don't know if his wife's giving birth yet, Barisic, but certainly wish him well with that one and, and Glenn Kilarry Finland as well. So um, we'll certainly be wishing all the Rangers players that are away on international duty all the best. Hopefully they come back fit and firing because after that we've got a few big games coming up um, starting with that home tie against Dundee United. Um, as well, guys, you can catch the pod tomorrow on all your um, podcast providers um, like Google Podcast and Spotify. That'll be on tomorrow at some point. Um, and if you are just catching the end of this on YouTube, you should be able to go and rewind it to the start as well so you can listen to his drone on from the beginning as opposed to just from half ten at night. But all that's left to do for me tonight is to find my guest, Patrick. Thanks for coming on, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having No worries. And John as well, thanks for coming on, mate. No problem, thank you. No worries guys, thanks very much for tuning in and we'll see you after the international break. Bye for now.